Hello and welcome to the second episode of Syslog, uh, the podcast where Julian and I invite some guests and then we talk about operating systems projects in and around Dresden. Uh, Julian, I think you have some history with our guests today. Um, yeah, many, many years ago. When I was a computer science student, um, I actually had a job at the high-performance computing department and I was not terribly happy about it. So I was looking for a different job and it turned out that there was a job opening um, at the operating systems chair. And there I was recruited by our guest Norman to work on what would then become the Gnode operating system framework. And that was, I'm not really sure when it was. But it may be around 2006-7, so uh, it's already yeah, it's already 12 years ago almost. And this was basically the reason why I ended up in operating systems. Um, for some um, for some reason, I just stuck to the whole thing, and um, I'm still doing it. Um, so th thank you for that, Norman. So <laughs> some of the gray hair is definitely because of that, but. Um, yeah, Norman. Um, yeah. Hello. Hi. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? So, what? Who are you? What do you do? Okay. So, thanks uh, for inviting me here. Over. It was a, a pleasure to be part of the second episode. Um, yeah. Uh, you already mentioned that um, I'm behind the Gnode OS framework. So uh, this is um, a development for about um, 15 years now. Um, so the the uh, the question is how have, what's the background what's the point where have you come from and so maybe I can give you a bit of my personal history first so I, I I'm now uh, uh, 41 years old so I grew up in the in the age of uh, home computers like Atari Amiga Acorn and things like that and back then the computers were fascinating for me because these machines uh, they were completely in my control. I could do. I could really sense that I'm the boss. The machine uh, responds to my commands, and this feeling really uh, gave me some kind of I don't know feeling of power over this machine, and it motivated me a lot to go further. And back then, I, I joined the Atari demo scene, um, which was uh, a kind of a community of people throughout Europe who tried to make the most out of these limited machines, like trying to break the boundaries of what these machines can make in, in terms of graphics, in terms of sound, and in terms of performance, like uh, programming a, a 3D engine on a chip that was meant for audio processing, for example, things like that. And so so this was basically the, the, the background. And... Uh, through a series of events like a computer science study at the university, I came uh, to the operating systems research group uh, at, in Dresden. This was around 2002, where I met my best friend uh, Christian Helmut and started doing some graphics uh, work in this group. And when I joined this group, <clears throat> this was an amazing place. Like uh, there were about 
I would say about a, do a dozen of people uh, working there on a lot of different topics. It was a beehive of activity. So there are a lot of different persons, a lot of different topics, but it was all around a common code base. So the, uh, all these guys were developing uh, an experimental operating system called DROPS or uh, also L4, Fiasco, this is also these kind of terms. Um, and there were lots of interesting topics like one guy did real-time networking, the guy next to the, to this, uh, to the uh, next, next door uh, did real-time file systems, then there were some security experts, uh, some kernel experts, and so apparently nobody did something graphical in there, so they did all these kind of IPC ping-pong things, all these kind of text going through the terminal, but there was no graphics, no, no mouse-controlled user interface or something like that. And this is where I came in with my background, with this graphics programming on the Atari, and could uh, contribute uh, this kind of graphical user interface uh, aspect to the system. But so all in all, this was an amazing place to be there, because I had a plenty of time to learn and to uh, get familiar with these concepts like microkernels, capability-based security, all these kind of interesting inputs. And together with my friend Christian Helmut, we had long discussions about these kind of topics and tried to um, uh, make sense of, of them. And yeah, one one thing that really uh, that we found uh, that we found really interesting was that in during the studies, like during the undergraduate studies, we had of course taken this operating systems course and also security course, and we learned about these best practices like uh, the principle of least authority things like that, and it, it, it made perfect sense. So we learned this, these kind of um, these topics, we did the exams, and we passed those exams, so everything worked out well. But then we looked around and we wondered, why is nobody applying these principles? This is something that's taught in these schools, but nobody really um, pays attention to these things. And um, yeah, when, when we, when we are at the chair of operating systems, so we obviously had to ask ourselves, uh, what's wrong about this? And apparently, at least that was our answer, is that all the commodity systems like Windows and Linux and all the systems that are in use, even today, they are basically um, derived from, from, from older systems that are designed in the 70s. Or, or, and back, back then, when these kind of systems uh, are started, there were fundamentally different premises uh, compared to today. So, for example, back then when you had a program, it was usually assumed that it's a friendly program, that you trust this program. And so these systems like the Unix system, they were designed to let friendly programs communicate to each other. Like the pipes is a perfect uh, symbol for this. But also, I mean, in the network, the network was big enough that you can put it on a sheet of paper and you probably know half of the admins of every system. Yes. Uh, but also you trust your admin or you had some guy installing software for you. And so you knew, okay, it's fine. It's going to be fine. Um, and <laughs> and but today, if you, if you have a device, be it a small Internet of Things device or a phone or a laptop or whatever, if you connect it to the, to the if you switch it on, basically, it, it, it connects to the Internet and you are in, a, in enemy territory and you are exposed to all kinds of uh, problems, uh, unfriendly software. 
Yeah, and so um, this I think this is some this uh, state that we were found us in, and we I think we are still in this state actually. Um, yeah, and and nobody is challenging this really. Um, and so for some years we we played around with this uh, drops operating systems, and over the years some ideas developed in the back of our heads. And in 2006. Uh, my my friend Christian Helmut and me had the chance to to try out our ideas. So we got some four months off, so we could go to uh, Christian's kitchen or to my kitchen and just started hacking without being distracted by other things. And within four months, we could basically put our ideas uh, of a new operating system into code. And these ideas uh, have. Basically, uh, the premise that software is dangerous, that software programs must be uh, tamed and they must not be trusted in the first place. So, um, so the, the fundamental presumption of the system that we designed were, was different. And so with these presumptions, we asked ourselves, how would we design an operating system like that with these fundamental different assumptions? And so we came up with the Genode uh, architecture, tried this out. And after f just four months, we got it to work, and we could have even a graphical user interface. And it, it solved a lot of problems that we struggled with and with the old system. So our minds were blown away. So this was really so cool that we could do this together. The, one other thing was, of course, doing this as a team of two. This intensive environment was also like a startup feeling, was also extremely inspiring for us. So when we were done with the prototype, we went back to the university, but we could really sense that this is not a, the place we, uh, to take this further. So we decided to found a company in 2008. Uh, the company is called Genote Labs, and it was founded with, with the mission to bring Genote to the real world. But you also didn't want to do just any company. So you, you brought some, some uh, uh, different ideas to how to build a company as well. Yeah, that's true. But actually, the company is just—it's uh, a means to an end for us. So when we when we uh, when we were at the university sitting there and we wanted to push Genote forward, we we tried to uh, check our options, like what are the other guys doing with the, who leave the group, and most of them were joining big in, uh, industry corporations like Microsoft or Intel, um, but. If we would go to Intel and ask them, hi, what do you think about building a new operating system? We have some funny idea. I did no chance. And also the option to join a smaller company, it's even worse because smaller companies don't invest in these kind of base technologies. So the, starting our own company was the only choice we had. And so, yeah, we had this idea to bring forward this technology and also uh, as another kind of motivation to uh, to to be, do something together, Christian and me, and to have an environment that really uh, is nice to live in. So like coming to a place where that's, not, that's nice and friendly, being surrounded by people that I genuinely like, and uh, having this collaborative uh, spirit for the whole day. I think that's the best thing uh, that can happen. Yeah, so when we founded this company, <laughs> Uh, there are a lot, a lot of different influences came together. So, for example, uh, the, at the university, I was extremely impressed by Andreas Witzmann and his uh, lectures. 
Um, so he was a professor for uh, um, computer IT security and data protection. And what he really um, brought to my eyes was that we as, a, as computer experts are responsible for the society. So I also remember that he had a lecture specifically on that. And I think this was the, the most important lecture from a, from a life-changing I'm not trying to say that from a non-technical aspect. Yes, so the yes. same for me. And also the other colleagues of this chair, like uh, Dr. Lazarus, he really opened my senses to these kind of things, like uh, like these kind of society uh, problems. And so I, I'm deeply convinced that free software is the way to go, to, to just because uh, this is the way the society can really benefit from our from technology. Um, so free software is a really uh, kind of like a cornerstone in our company. Um, the other th kind of aspect is that I wanted to retain independence. So um, I don't want it to be policed by someone, by a boss or some venture capitalist or something like that. So it was completely clear from the beginning that we would stay independent and self-fund the company. Um, As a third aspect, um, there are, I already mentioned this demo scene background, and this came also with a kind of, I, I don't know, a certain ethos uh, connected to this. Um, so the demo scene, I don't know, have you been involved in this? <laughs> How do I say that? Um, no, I was more uh, more invested in, in shareware and the limitations that shareware bring to my computer and how to get rid of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It was a different time, um, but I know what you mean. So at least also in the in the the, the cracking scene, there was lots of um, focus on the community in a weird way. So it was more like a collaborative project, and each and each uh, software was a challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, now looking back. Uh, That might have not have been a, a nice challenge for some people that earned their living with that software. But um, uh, from from the, the per perspective that you are like uh, 16 and and you're you're part of some something and there's lots of interesting things going on. You learn tons of things and some people just do completely amazing things. So this this was a really nice experience and I think that is also somehow the the experience that you had in the Atari. Yeah, so in my case, I never did anything, uh, any cracking or so. I, I only joined this kind of demo scene uh, to build these graphical effects and to combine them with, with music and pixel art and things like that. And But there are some, this community is extremely important. So it is extremely competitive and also com reputation is really important, uh, the goal for everyone. It's extremely motivating. Uh, so like if you uh, read your own sort of in a scroll text of another group that you admire so it was all a kind of game a sports game between these people and once you break boundaries that you always try to be better than the others and and to present your work in a in a nice palatable way and then if you get uh, these kind of uh, uh, greetings from the other groups this is extremely rewarding and all but also it's uh, uh, it is important to give credits so the demo scene is really down, really uh, has this kind of ethos that if you uh, take someone's code or ideas or um, yeah, then then you give credit to these people. So you don't try to pretend that you have uh, uh, came up with an idea of someone else.
that's that's something I, I, I have, for, for example, found lacking in the academic uh, community somehow. So, but the demo scene really uh, um, was uh, very influential, and so I always, to this day, pay a lot of attention to these kind of credits, uh, giving credits, and also building up reputation, these kind of mindset. Yeah, and, and then the other aspect is uh, when we founded the company, this was not a kind of uh, business case. So we did not start the company with the prospect of having an exit in four, five years, but this was more like a living a life decision. So I, I knew I want to spend my, the rest of my life with my best friend Christian uh, doing uh, interesting programming, bringing together this genome technology forward. So this is come uh, from the beginning built to be sustainable. So now the, the obvious question is, um, I mean, it's all fine and good. I think many people want to be in a company like that. But then there's the, the hard truth then that something needs to pay the bills. So how, how do you manage that? Yeah, when we started the company, we actually had no idea. <laughs> we, we were just uh, two kind of uh, computer um, engineers or uh, software engineers uh, trying to find paid work. And at the beginning, the first year, we got uh, money from the Arbeitsamt. I don't know what's the uh, English uh, the, uh, the, 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 the The unemployment office. Yes, yes. The employment uh, office. So we... So basically, they, they paid a certain fr uh, fraction of our uh, salary from the university, and so we could uh, live off this money for about uh, for nine months or so. And uh, during this time, we found our first customers, and this was uh, something like uh, programming microcontrollers in Pascal for an industry automation uh, thing, like completely unrelated to what we actually wanted to do. But it uh, we got money for this and. So, As a friend would say, unsexy consulting work. Yeah, I think uh, we always made something out of this. Also, some getting something rewarding, like the software that we created. We we are proud of this, and it was also good to learn to work together with our customers and make them happy. And so this was not a negative, uh, but it was just yeah, and to earn money for us. So we. So It wasn't there to bring Gnode as a technology forward, but Gnode as a company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so we had, you basically cross-funded the Gnode development with these kind of project projects in the very beginning. Um, but early on, uh, during the first few months, we also published Gnode as an open source project. And because this was the plan all, all the time anyway, and um, over time this drew the attention of some industrial groups to uh, this project. Um, and so uh, slowly over the time, we, our consultants worked, uh, moved more and more into the Gnode uh, territory. So people paid us to uh, port Gnode to a different uh, platform or to add new components to the, to the framework. Or also, with our background, um, people recognize that we are knowledgeable about certain technical aspects that are no, not so well known. Like, for example, when ARM Trust Zone uh, was first hyped, nobody really knew what's behind this. And so we were approached by an evaluation body uh, from, the, from, from a European country. Um, 
to just take a look. So they just asked ask us, could you please explore uh, ARM Trust Zone for us and explain to us what this is all about. And so we we took this challenge to find find this out. And of course, the first thing we did, we put the Gnode over to this platform and we, we played around with all this and delivered in the end, not just a piece of paper where the customers could read what we found, but it, we also delivered uh, something to play with a demonstrator where they could really switch between the Gnode uh, world and the Android world by just using a touch screen. And so people became uh, like fans over time and commissioned us these kind of interesting research work. Yeah, then um, after some more years, uh, Gnode became uh, good uh, enough, I would say, for for uh, commercial or, or product uh, considerations, and so could the, the topic of commercial licensing uh, came up, and so we are now also getting a part of our in income uh, from this kind of licensing. And once people uh, build products based on Gnode, of course, uh, there is also the demand for support. So we also uh, provide uh, paid for support. And from time to time, we also uh, participated in some kind of public-funded research projects, but this is really an exception. So we try to not overdo this. Okay. So why do you try to avoid that? Um, I, I think um, it's a bit like uh, I, there are two two uh, two aspects to it. First, it's, uh, if you may, if you accept this money from these research grants. Then you are uh, you are making yourself dependent on these kind of uh, funding. This kind of funding is never is is, is is always limited in time. So after three years, uh, this funding will uh, of course go away again. But at that time, your cost structure has changed in the company. So after three years, you are basically forced to do another application and another application. So it's a bit more like a drug addict. So when you overdo this. So if you do it just as a side, then it's fine. But I think when you make your company too much dependent on this public funding, you are getting in this kind of mode where you have to have more of this. And the second aspect is that it's taking a lot of time and it's a distraction. So there is a lots of bureaucracy involved, and it's just not uh, not a pleasure to do this kind of work. It's much better to have a, a customer who really uh, loves what you are doing and pays you money for that. And uh, so this is the way that we prefer. I can totally relate to the story with the many documents because that was also my experience in EU projects. I've never seen this this many horrible horrible word documents. Um, yeah, not. I'm not looking forward to doing that again. Um, so, I mean, we've touched on uh, Gino, the company now. So we, we've uh, we've seen where where uh, it comes from from your end. So where you had the idea of founding it, and also we, we know now uh, how you keep it afloat. But I think this is the point where we should actually switch to the technology and uh, give a bit of, of an overview about what is it actually. So, um, so can you talk a bit about where, where did you start and, and what happened in the last uh, 12 years on the G-Node front? 
Yes. Um, so the starting point was a, a kind of fundamental different architecture of how programs are organized on the computer. So normally, if you have programs, they can they have some um, live in the kind of same global environment like a, a virtual file system, and they have a global namespace where they live, and you can basically uh, uh, yeah they can read data and so on. And the, in in we we wanted to create a system that is uh, more. Um, um, built over uh, upon the idea of sandboxing. Basically, we, want, we wanted to sandbox each each individual program on the system, and expose this pro the, the the system only in in some parts to this the program. So like, like really implementing this kind of principle of least privilege. So like when, if you have a network driver as a program, this network driver can see the network card. But it cannot see any other device. It cannot also can also not store any information on disk. It can also not uh, look at the file system whatsoever. So each program has a distinct responsibility in the system and has access only to the resources that it really needs to work. So it's more like a whitelisting approach. Yes. So it, while typically it's more like a blacklisting thing, so for example on, on Linux, if you need um, as a program some temporary storage then you just dump everything in slash temp, but this is also where everyone else dumps their temporary mm -hmm. stuff. Now you have to make sure that they don't clash, even though having a shared temporary storage makes absolutely no sense from the from the design Aspect exactly yeah so the, um, so the um, basic uh, idea is or or to take microkernels so microkernels have been around for a long time but what we found is that those microkernels they were uh, fairly static um, or or they had these kind of global notion like if you look at QNX for example. This is a microkernel-based system, or Minix, is all, Minix 3, but it also has this kind of a notion of this global sco scope, yeah, this global file system. Um, so in contrast, uh, we wanted to uh, make this follow comp this principle of least privilege, and the question is really how to organize these programs then. So if you if you you need someone who decides which program can communicate with, with another program, or which program gets actually access to the network card, and which program can uh, consume a certain amount of memory. So someone has, has to decide this. And because uh, we don't want to have something global to decide it, we, we basically had the idea to distribute these decisions throughout the system by building the system uh, in a recursive fashion. So it's a hierarchic system where each uh, node in the system, each program uh, can instantiate, can create sandboxes and put functionality in there. And so the whole system is basically like a, a nested piece of sandboxes. And with this principle... It's sandboxes all the way down. Yeah, all the way down. And, and this way, we can take policy decisions at a right level of abstraction. So, for example, at the very low uh, part of the system, directly above the kernel, we don't know anything about networking or file systems or things like that. These are... Uh, complex concepts that live up the tree of the components, but we only talk about basic things like IRQs or RAM, uh, physical memory, things like that. And then uh, the higher up you go in this component tree, the higher the abstraction also gets. And so we can nicely distribute these kind of decisions, uh, how to organize the system, how to create these subsystems uh, throughout the, the, the tree. This is basically the key um, that allow that yeah that 
a key idea, I would say. Um, when we had this idea uh, in 2006, uh, we were never so really sure if this could fly. Of course, uh, in our initial prototype that I just described, this would was also featuring a graphical user interface, so you could basically get a sense that it could work. But we had to, of course, validate this idea with a lot of different workloads, like uh, doing networking or doing all kinds of device drivers. Can this be used for low latency audio, for example? Or is it compatible with uh, the notions of software that's existing? And can this be ported to the GNOTE world without big uh, friction? And so there was this kind of exploration phase where we took all kinds of challenging ideas, uh, like virtualization is another one, and tried to integrate these kind of ideas into our system and validate that these kind of recursive architecture holds. And so this uh, phase went on for several years. And we, the software base grew, of course. We had a lot of interesting components. They could do uh, interesting work, like the whole graphics stack, stack uh, implemented from the ground up. But over the years, we also recognized that we had make we made mistakes, because if you have some big project like this, you always take wrong decisions. And at one one point, we basically uh, decided to apply our lessons learned and do a come to the next phase where we redesigned the software stack from the ground up. So basically uh, turning, for example, the flow of control upside down. So we started from this L4 mindset that you all also uh, are aware of, like where you have synchronous flow of control. Like in the L4 uh, microkernels, there is this kind of uh, yeah, uh, common, uh, common theme that L4 is fast because LPC communication is synch synchronous operation. So you try to avoid asynchronous communication, you do everything synchronous. And this tends to uh, produce programs that consist of multiple threads because you cannot easily have a program that listens to different uh, uh, conditions like a select. It's, it's, uh, so you, we are basically walking in the wrong direction a long time doing all kinds of synchronous uh, um, uh, programs. like. The usual C program, like it's uh, you start with the function main and then you have this procedure, procedural trace of synchronous function calls, and then you enter a loop, a uh, while loop where you have your events. But that's and we tried at one point, we discovered that this is not a good approach. Uh, the better approach would be to turn this upside down to consider one component to be a state machine. So you construct a state machine at the beginning. So you have a small function that is only responsible for constructing the component. Like you construct an object in C++, for example, you have a constructor. And then once this function is uh, finished, it returns. And then the component is in an idle state, basically. And then it can be, uh, it can be triggered from the outside, either by an asynchronous notification, by some kind of signal, or by uh, an RPC, incoming RPC call. And so, so this is a different, it's like 180 degrees turned around. It sounds a bit like the Erlang way of doing things, where you have like uh, tiny servers, lots of tiny servers, and they send messages to each other, but they are all asynchronous. Yes, not, not all asynchronous. That's another, uh, this is um, basically another, would be another mistake to say, ah, synchronous IPC doesn't work. No, no, I think there is this kind of uh, mix of both, asynchronous and synchronous communication is needed. 
And so I think the flavor of how we combine this and how we give this uh, a structure in the system, I think that makes makes it work, basically. But the, the big point was that we recognized that we had to uh, uh, turn all the components upside down at one point. And this would mean uh, to basically rework a code base of 350,000 lines of code. And we did it. So we basically went forward and drafted a plan to basically come from this point to another point and then go into a lot of different intermediate steps to reach the actual goal that we had in mind. So did you have working intermediate steps? Of course. We, at this point, we already had customers using uh, mm. Gnode. So we had to be really careful about these kind of uh, changes. And it went on for over for a phase of over two years to do, to do this. But you also didn't fork the code base? No, no, no. This was a, really an evolutionary uh, process. Um, but it was yeah, it, uh, really challenging to do this. So I, I can almost imagine the discussion here. So did you consider the forking model? Because in my mind, that would have looked very appealing in the beginning. But then you enter this, this mode where you have like the production fork that generates money and the experimental, we want to redesign everything and you never reach parity in features. We never considered this okay. so, because I, I was afraid of exactly this, what you say, that uh, once you fork, then you can never get rid of the old uh, branch. Uh, so we tried to always keep one line of development. Um, yes. So this was this phase of redesigning the, the framework and also the components. So how long, how long did that take? I think altogether about two years. Oh. Hmm. But not only exclusively this yeah, design, of but of course, but, but there was a careful selection of steps that we took. And But now we are there and now we can really leverage this uh, new uh, model. And this is really, really powerful. And so with this new model in place, we can do crazy things like, for example, having a, a component local virtual file system as a library. That, cont that loads uh, Linux TCP IP stack as a plugin, and so you can have a TCP IP stack locally uh, in your address space in your program, and just uh, yeah, and just run it there. And, and the, the IP stack can respond to I/O independently from the from the program. And so you, this is really a nice uh, way of composing software. Yeah, so this was the uh, redesign phase. Um, and now, uh, <clears throat> after this redesign phase, we could basically reap the fruit of this and uh, implement really cool features about this uh, using these kind of um, um, underlying foundations. And so the goal was to make it really useful, to make Gnode really a useful um, piece of software. And for example, we identified that uh, a various operating system needs a way to install software safely. And so um, we, we, we attacked this problem to uh, deploy um, SOC packages and things like that. And so this was a kind of feature development phase. But it's also a sign of maturity. I mean, you had the pro actually the problem of installing components at runtime, mm -hmm. um, which you usually don't have if you have a project like that, because everything comes from one Yeah. source tree and everyone is a friend in that source tree you build a single image and then you boot it and yep. you are happy but no that's not the that's not what you what i think is a real operating system a real operating system is something that you install but you can also update software on this mm. you can install new versions and have uh, on on target control over this the machine 
Yeah, so this is also where we started our Squid uh, operating system project, which is like a showcase of uh, of Gnode. And um, yeah, and now we basically, I think we we, we come to the kind of um, phase of consolidation. So now we are really working more towards st uh, API stability, um, performance, and and also rigid quality assurance things uh, things in this direction. So maybe one question. So th there's one frequent um, criticism towards stable APIs uh, from the Linux kernel community that uh, when you start doing that, basically your project is is dead. Um, so how how do you see that? I think there are uh, truths in it, and so uh, the I think the uh, important point is to be prepared. So um, to do not this kind of stability, uh, uh, to not follow this idea too early. And, and so right now we are not there yet. So we still are flexible to, to change the API and ABI. And we also have no, no concrete point in time that we, that we um, concentrate on. But uh, it's definitely a kind of um, path in this direction. So that we see that in the code base, there's very little fluctuation in the basic framework in this base components. The action happens somewhere up the component tree at a higher level of abstraction. So yeah, I, I'm extremely careful about this, and I, I don't. I also don't want to uh, promise this too early. <laughs> so you mentioned the uh, Sculpt OS, and this was a project you started uh, two years ago. Um, so what's what's the relationship between Gnode, the, the the operating system framework, and Sculpt OS? Yeah. So with Gnode, we are always had the problem that nobody get got it really so we 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 did a lot of uh, interesting work and uh, we were proud of ourselves of course but uh, nobody uh, or very few people only recognized the potential uh, behind it um, I, I compared maybe to something like if you take a bunch of lego bricks and put it in front of a, of a kid who has never seen lego before Uh, it, the kid has tr probably trouble uh, seeing the potential behind Now this. you have to take the Lego bricks and put it in front of the toy company executive. <laughs> the kid will have no problem. Yeah, so I think part of the part of the problem, our problem was that people, we, we built these Lego bricks or these kind of components uh, over many years and uh, yeah, we tried to imp really improve this kind of stickiness between the components so that they fit perfectly together. We refined these interfaces and still people could not really get what's the point. And, and similar with the Lego sets, uh, the Lego sets, they are, they are the uh, They are sold with these kind of brochures where the kids can learn how to build a nice uh, um, fire fireman car out yeah, of Yeah, you see bits. the big starship in, on yes. the box. Yes, you see some examples and, and this brings the, the imagination to life. So the kids start Of course, building these kind of pre, uh, uh, these kind of cons these uh, brochures, but then once they discover the flexibility, they start uh, building custom models. Of course, also at least that's the case for my 
for my kids. And for Gnode, we, we found that we also need something like that, like uh, some examples that uh, that that create in more like an imagination what's possible in the people's minds. And this is where ScriptOS comes into play. So we had this desire to work to work with our own uh, operating system, anyway. So we let let's try to make an an example of out of this. Make an a general purpose operating system that uses this component architecture and showcase that what cool things are possible with Gnode. But this is just an example, basically. For so we do not want to market Gnode as a product, uh, or not Gnode uh, ScriptOS as a product. So this is not something that we market as something that you can install for productive work, at least right now. But uh, this is more like a showcase for Gnode that that shows what cool things can can be done with the Gnode OS framework. And um, yeah, and when people start playing with this and maybe installing it on their machine and uh, discovering this this uh, technology, they will find out what's behind it and will possibly um, try to build different things out of these building blocks. Yeah. So, who are you targeting? So, with the yeah with Sculpt, um, um, we f foremost we target ourselves. So that's the Gnode team uh, is, work is uh, working with this operating system, and but in more generally individuals uh, who really seek control over their machines. So uh, co the control that that are, is not given by, for example, a Linux distribution. When you install a Linux, Linux distribution on your machine, you are uh, you are basically dependent on the distribution. Uh, you get these constant updates all the time, and you you basically subscribe to someone else's uh, medicine, <laughs> I would say. And I think that uh, people who seek as much control as we, uh, I think these people may, may uh, um, find ScriptOS interesting. So, so what machines does it run on? So what would you recommend people so, to try this on? So we are using uh, Intel-based laptops, um, mostly from, uh, from Lenovo, the Lenovo X or T lines of notebooks. Um, but we also enabled it on, on several other laptops of different brands. Um, there is also work in progress to bring this on the ARM 64 um, uh, um, world. So I think at FOSTEM you will or, or yeah, probably uh, learn more about this. So actually in our office we have it actually running on an ARM uh, 64-bit board. Yeah, I think you are big fans of the IMX uh, boards. Yes. Yeah, this is also the, the board of choice for other uh, open source uh, ARM projects, I would say. Mm -hmm. So it's also in the, uh, what's the phone? Um, Librem. In the Librem 5. Yes. Uh, I think for exactly the same reasons. I think so, yeah. And this is also, of course, for us in the future, an interesting target to go towards this kind of mobile communication devices. So right now we are concentrating on these kind of more like uh, laptops. There's also a really cool project from uh, a Berlin company, like uh, it's called Mount Reform, MNT Reform. They are building custom laptops uh, based on these IMX chips. Ah. And so I'm quite eager to see Sculpt OS running on these uh, laptops. 
Ja, und dann more generally, um, yeah, Scope is also aimed at solution providers, like people who want to build uh, uh, solutions for business problems. Uh, so basically, when you think of Gino, there's a bunch of bricks and a, and a basic mechanism how to put them together. A script is more like uh, something like a with a rail where you can basically uh, have an orientation. Like similar to uh, Ruby and Ruby on Rails. Yeah, you have Ruby. So Sculptor is, is uh, Gino on Rails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you have uh, you have a lot of solutions uh, uh, that for typical problems like the software uh, provisioning um, and configuration concepts, and this is all basically done. And you can create a business solution with these uh, established uh, um, kind of patterns. And so one thing that I would really ex be excited about would be to, uh, for example, come more together with the Cubes community to basically uh, work on the combination of Gnode with the Cubes OS. Yeah, there's def definitely some some uh, overlap in the goals, I would say. Yeah, also I think overlap in spirit. So I think that uh, these are great people and uh, they have a very the same kind of attitude, I think, that uh, we share the same... Uh, kind of sense of uh, responsibility for the civil, soci civil society and so I think that would be a nice match and we, we actually um, uh, came together with them already so but it's still the technical uh, path is long so we cannot yeah we cannot promise anything <laughs> so what are your plans for this year um, so This year, so we have just published our roadmap for this year. Um, this roadmap will be about uh, reducing the uh, the barrier of entry with starting Gnode use and development. Because right now, if you start with Gnode, um, you basically go to the website Gnode.org and you find a book there. So you can download the book for free uh, as a PDF. But you are basically confronted with hundreds of pages of text. And so basically you have to walk through the, the book in order to get really on, on track. And I think we have to reduce this kind of barrier of entry. And so in this year we will focus on making ScriptOS more attractive and more, more um, yeah, user-friendly. So for example, right now the ScriptOS has some kind of uses uh, a Unix uh, runtime as a kind of utility inside Sculpt to basically as a tool for copying files or editing files. So we have a small Unix runtime in there. And this is really bad because it, first it, lets, it gives the impression that uh, Sculpt is based on Unix, but it isn't. Yeah, it's just a handy file manager thing, and and the second is that this is really a big barrier of entry. So if you put a bash shell in front of someone who's not familiar with Unix, then that's maybe something people can probably live with. But then if you have to use Vim for editing files, uh, then game over for many people. And I Julian think can relate to that one. Yeah, yeah we talked today <laughs> about my inability to copy and paste in Vim, even though I try. Yeah, so I think to uh, to be more inviting, we need to uh, get rid of these kind of highly technical uh, tools and uh, give the users something that they can actually deal with. So that's uh, one part of the puzzle, I think. And uh, yeah, another vision is this consolidation I already mentioned. So that put, to we put a lot of emphasis to the stability and high quality of the code base, so that people who discover Gnode are not negatively surprised about it. You, you mean this feeling when you open 
you see some code, you are uh, no some program, you are excited. You open the the source code and you go like, oh no. <laughs> yes. So we want to avoid that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think this is this is really important because this, this is really the biggest barrier. So I think um, it, it's hard to underestimate the. the The, the cost of having a large entrance barrier because like imagine someone wants to try something new it's his free hour of the day the one free hour of the day uh, and so he's he's not going to be very excited about setting up some weird tooling that uh, uh, he has never seen before yeah um, so I totally appreciate that you are doing that um, But um, so what are your, your broader plans looking uh, beyond this year? Yeah, the broader plans are basically to uh, <clears throat> separate the uh, foundations of the Genode system, like the basic components the, um, from the more like features. So we want to uh, stabilize the basis um, more and more and also uh, undergo more rigid um, kind of uh, um, quality assurance for this, like static code anal analysis, um, linters, and uh, like the rigid testing of the basic of the framework, like the dynamic linker and things like that. So this should really be uh, bug-free. That's basically the the, <clears throat> the, the, pre the premise of this uh, whole architecture. So the whole architecture only works if these basic components are free of bugs. But the cool thing is that the complexity of these basic components is quite okay. So it's, uh, we talk about like uh, 15 or 20,000 lines of code. And so the scope of these kind of rigid uh, um, measures is limited. So uh, compare this with uh, standard operating systems like Linux, you have no chance to, to give this to, to, to achieve this kind of assurance. We always have had this picture of the castle built on sand floor, if you remember that. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, that's also so, true. And, yeah. and also, I think the, the nice thing is even that you can recognize the, the foundations. Yeah. Because that's something you can't in most systems. It's just one, one million line blob yes and, and in this case in our case it's completely in my head and i know where the dusty corners are there, there are still some but I, i have i think a really good grasp on what's going on there and um, so you would you would say you have a complete understanding of the yeah at least of the basis yes. of the system still and i think wow. also yeah when it comes to the base system i think i'm not the only one with this um, because also others in our team are so familiar with this uh, basic uh, code That I think there are no no areas where people feel um, uncomfortable. Yeah, um, yeah. Then also another 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 aspect is of course so, uh, moving towards things like formal verif verification. So there is uh, a lot of uh, interesting stuff happening in the world now right now. So the tools are getting better all the time, and there is now a big uh, kind of this other spark topic you had last last time. It's also very motivating to for us to look in this direction. And actually, we are engaging uh, with other spark currently um, and evaluating how to apply this to the Genode codebase. As I said in the last episode, I think this is still the most exciting technology in software development in a really long time. So actually having software you can trust. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, I think uh, um, less technical, I think that uh, we want to foster Gino more as a community, as an ecosystem. 
Um, so in, in, make these uh, collaboration with others more more uh, more regular. So for example, inviting people over to our group to work together with us. Like we have this yearly uh, genote hack and hike where we meet at a nice nature site and do hacking at night and uh, hiking in, at daylight. Or uh, this year we also had this first uh, episode of uh, the Genote Community Summer, where we basically transform our offices into a kind of co-working space for two weeks, where people can come over and work together with us. So we really want to um, yeah, foster this idea of a joint project, that Genote is uh, an ecosystem, not just a product of a company. So these events, how, did, how does that work? Can anyone come there or do you invite people or yes so there is uh, this is open for everyone who's really interested um, there is a of course a limited capacity but we announced this uh, some months before on our newsletter or also on our uh, mailing list so the way to stay informed is to be subscribed to the mailing list or yes that's, the newsletter yes that's the best way and and the mailing list uh, is basically yeah the best way to get no uh, no uh, to get um, the information about these events And but yeah, the capacity is limited, of course, and so the ones who register early they can come participate. Yeah, so that's something that we will, of course, um, yeah, improve also. Yeah, there, from the business point of view, uh, there are no big changes planned. So we want to stay independent. Uh, we don't want to uh, uh, grow substantially. So of course, if there is someone who really fits nicely to us and who is a nice person and who wants to join us, maybe we can do this, but it's not a plan to grow. Um, so we will just, we hope that we can just uh, keep doing what we love. Uh, nice. Um, so you already mentioned it. So if, if people want to start to hack, uh, you said the, the main thing to read is the book. Um, But um, then, of course, there's also uh, Scope the website. Are there any other resources that people should check out? Yeah, I think um, the, the Gnode.org website is a good starting point, especially the book. So there you can get an idea about the architecture. And there's also a getting started section that, that goes through the tooling and, and the first Hello World example. And I think to get a more uh, feeling for the people behind the project, I think the best place is this genodians.org website, which is a, a community blog where different people from our company, but also outside of our company, uh, publish articles around Genode. And there you can also find links to uh, the community resources like the Reddit, um, uh, subreddit, or the, the mailing list or the IRC channel. Yeah, I can totally recommend the Genodians uh, blog because so far all the entries have been very uh, interesting. <laughs> so um, I enjoy reading all of it. <laughs> um, so another point is, so if we manage to publish this podcast before FOSTEM, then uh, go to the microkernel and component-based operating system uh, dev room, uh, which will feature many of the people from Gnode and also myself. And if we manage to publish this after FOSTEM, uh, check out the videos from FOSTEM because uh, the Gnode people, um, I think you're giving in total four talks in the whole of FOSTEM? I think it's three. I'd ask. There's one outside. There was one outside. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, but there are also um, like the, the, the uh, people from Componolit who are. Uh, yep. 
here last time. Uh, Alex will give a talk and also his colleague um, uh, Johannes will also mm. give a talk. So there will definitely be a Sculpt demo, if I remember correctly. There will be an Gnode on ARM64 talk. There will be Martin's ADA kernel experiment, experiments in the ADA dev room. Yes. Yeah, so and all of them will be recorded. So I think this is going to be a, a great, great fun afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for our listeners who don't know what Fostum is, uh, you should probably point. also explain that. Should I? <laughs> Um, so FOSTEM is the largest open source conference in Europe. It's this uh, chaotic event in uh, Brussels with many thousand open source developers. It's uh, for free and the, uh, um, the University of Brussels lends their, their campus for it. So uh, uh, that's very nice. And it's also traditionally the point where... Um, Uh, many people from our subculture, I would say, meet in this uh, one dev room that has been going on for 10 years. I'm not quite sure, but for a long time. It's, uh, I think it should be in the order of a decade now. Mm -hmm. um, so this is definitely a good point uh, to meet people. Um, not only in the dev room, but also in the days before. So uh, it's actually pretty easy to get in touch If, if you are in any of the microkernel mailing lists or IRC channels or whatever. So this, this is a really nice event. And from what I hear, there's a beer drinking event. It, a beer tasting I heard there's beer drinking in Brussels. <laughs> um, that's true. Um, yeah. I think that's... Um, um, a pretty good point to, to wrap up a bit so I think um, we're very glad that you had the time to come here it's always super nice to hear about Gnode and how it evolves over time um, the, uh, we are going to add all the important links in the show notes so if you didn't get it uh, um, in the podcast right now be sure to check out the show notes um, if you have any feedback for this episode um, be sure to either mail us there's an email address on on the website or join our isc or matrix channel that's also on their website um, we got some uh, great feedback very constructive feedback for the last episode and we're trying to con constantly uh, improve um, but uh, we're getting there so and you can find the channel on uk vly On Matrix, right? Yeah, as it's a UK, UK, we should really find an easier to pronounce <laughs> name for the channel. And it's also the same uh, name on Freenode IRC. Um, and uh, the same handle on Twitter, right? And the same handle on, uh, on Twitter, of course. And uh, you can also star us on Apple Podcasts, I think. I'm, I'm not using Apple products. How, how does it work these days? Uh, so it's called podcasts now it was formerly called itunes and uh, yeah i think there's one to five stars so be sure to rate us on apple Podcasts yes. if you like the show because that helps people find us yes that's what you say at the end of podcasts isn't exactly it? Yes. okay i would say that's it uh, thank you again norman for being here thank you um, for inviting me it was a pleasure to talk with you yeah and uh, for all the listeners now go to the gino website and uh, read all the detailed information about this amazing project <laughs> and thank you for listening of course and thank you for listening <laughs> bye bye <laughs>